Hey there. A quick word before I tell you about my experience at Kelly Slater's Surf Ranch. Spoiler alert, uh, it was amazing. You know that I'm developing some partnerships with companies who want to advertise here, and I'm being very pragmatic not only about who I work with, but also about how I structure the deals. I'm only promoting brands and products that I think that you would use, need, or would provide a better version or a deal on something that you already use. So support this show by supporting these brands that I promote. Use our promo codes and you'll get a killer deal and we'll be able to track the ROI for the brand, which will of course perpetuate these partnerships. Thanks in advance. Sandy Gottsman is not your typical 70 year old. When she isn't hiking the trails of her hometown of Honolulu, she can be found climbing the stairs once every hour of daylight to ensure that she gets her 13,000 steps on her Fitbit. In 1999, her husband had a stroke. Extended stays in the hospital and tests revealed a slew of health conditions, including diabetes, neuropathy, cardiovascular disease, kidney failure, and COPD. Rather than relying solely on medicine, Sandy developed a strict diet and workout regime for her husband, which even her doctor's credit with not only recovering his health, but adding 12 extra years to his life. Sandy now runs the Silver and Fit Senior Classes three days a week at the local park. For her, this goes way beyond health and to the very core of why she's here on the planet. I'm going to meet my maker sooner rather than later, she says and I want to be able to say that I helped people. Her thirst for new health information is what drew her to Health IQ, a company that provides lower life insurance rates for health-conscious people. Health IQ's mission is to celebrate health through financial rewards. This has made Health IQ the fastest-growing life insurance company in the U.S., saving those who qualify up to 33% lower rates on their life insurance. If you surf, if you live an active life, you could qualify. Go to healthiq.com slash surfsplendor to take the test to support this show and to save yourself money every month in perpetuity. Healthiq.com slash surfsplendor. Also, if you haven't already set up an account, you need to join fanatic.com. Use the promo code podcast and you'll get your first month free. I recorded a podcast episode yesterday with famed laminator Alex Superwolf Villalobos, and he's the guy that glasses Ryan Birch's boards, Joel Tudor's, Jeff McCallum's, and after we stopped recording, I went by his car to check out a uh, Rich Pavel single fin that he had, and he spent five minutes telling me this story about how he had ridden this board with a particular fin and he absolutely did not like it. Then Joel Tudor saw him in the parking lot and he had seen him surfing on the board and he talked him into using a different fin, brought it down, gave it to him the following day. And Alex said the board worked entirely differently, like it was a different board completely. So I can't overstate the value of fin exploration. It instantly expands your quiver. Fanatic is basically the Netflix of fins. For 10 bucks a month, you create a queue on their website. They send fins to your house. You ride them as long as you want or as short as you want. Send them, send them back. They will send you the next set of fins off your queue. All of the postage is included with your 10 bucks a month. You can try John John's fins. You can try Mick Fanning's fins. They have everything. Fanatic.com, promo code podcast. You'll get your first month free and you'll support this show. Thanks.
On the morning of October 12th, 2017, I awoke to an email simply titled November 2nd. It was sent by Dave Prodan, Senior Vice President of Global Brand Identity at the World Surf League. It said, Hey David, I have the opportunity to bring some folks to surf the wave pool on November 2nd. No agenda, just surfing and experience for background. Please be discreet about the invitation. I hope you can make it. Welcome back to the show. I'm David Scales, and today I'm going to wax on with Jamie Brissick and Matt Warshaw about our surf trip to Kelly Slater's Surf Ranch. Jamie Brissick is a former World Tour competitor, writer, filmmaker. His latest film, Westerly, will be released in the coming months. Follow along at jamiebrissick.com and at jamiebrissick. Matt Warshaw is also a writer, but he's best known as surfing's foremost historian. Encyclopediaofsurfing.com is where you'll find him. I have links to their work and everything that we discuss in today's episode on surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can imagine, this was the single most exciting email I can remember ever receiving. Not only because it was an opportunity to be among a very few number of people on the planet to surf this perfectly machined wave, but because it also came completely out of the blue. Why was I being invited? Certainly I wasn't doing a solo mission. I don't know Dave Prodan well enough to be invited as his friend, so I can only assume that I'm being invited um, because of my work on this podcast. And if that's the case, can I assume Scott Bass is coming? Is Chaz Smith coming? Chaz has railed against the wave pool, blasphemed it publicly. So there's no way that he'd be invited, right? And even if he was, there's no way he would go. So I emailed Dave back, we chatted on the phone, and he confirmed it would be a day for Surf Media to come and get firsthand experience so we could all speak knowledgeably about the KS Wave Co. As it turns out, Surf Ranch can't accommodate all of Surf Media in one day, so we were split into two groups. Most of the Australian media went on November 2nd, and then my group was postponed until November 21st. My group included the boys from Stab Magazine, Sam McIntosh, Ashton Goggins, Michael Ciamarella, Morgan Williamson, and Shinya Dalby. Brendan Thomas from the Surfer's Journal was there, writer Jake Howard, Jeremy Schluntz from Surfer Magazine, Zach Weisberg and Dylan Hayden from The Inertia, Dave Gilovich, Jamie Brissick, Matt Warshaw, Scott Bass, and myself. I had slightly less than one month to prepare, and almost immediately after my phone call with Dave, my excitement shifted to anxiety, a performance anxiety that honestly I haven't felt since perhaps I was in Little League when I was a kid. What board do I ride? How many waves will I get? What if I don't make the barrel? What if I fall before the barrel? What if I stumble trying to get to my feet? What if I don't even catch a wave? It's not the ocean, so maybe it's easy to misjudge. Actually, I've seen footage of former world champ Martin Potter miss a wave that he was paddling for. So all these concerns that I had evolved past decades ago in the ocean were now all I could think about. I immediately began testing boards. Every single wave I surfed for the next month was in preparation for Surf Ranch. 
surfed a knee-high inside right on a gloomy morning and pretended that there was a fence 10 yards in front of me with a plow underwater creating the wave. If the wave pool was built to replicate the ocean, I was now in the ocean replicating and imagining that I was in a wave pool. I surfed a head high left on a sunny afternoon and replaced the sandy shoreline with a concrete moat. I tried to envision spectators watching every turn and a jet ski tracking me from 10 yards away, filming every second. I tried to anticipate all the pressure that I would feel in the pool and release all that energy, work it all out in the ocean. The experience of loading up your car for a surf trip and then driving to Fresno is odd. I drove four hours north of Orange County, stopped in San Luis Obispo to have lunch and record a podcast with Dave Parmenter. I lied to him about why I was passing through. Sorry about that, Dave. In fact, we all signed a non-disclosure agreement stating that we wouldn't discuss our experience at Surf Ranch, nor even our attendance, until February 1st, 2018. I drove an additional two hours northeast, 100 miles from the coast, to the Tachi Palace Hotel and Casino in Lemoore, California. I exited the car and was immediately struck with the smell of manure. Lemoore is an agricultural town of 25,000 people with a median household income of $44,000. Up until very recently, they didn't have a lot of surfers passing through. I walked up to the front desk at the Tachi Palace. The young girl raised her head and without even asking my name, just after making eye contact with me without any hesitation at all, stated with complete confidence, oh, you must be here for the wave pool. We were to meet at the surf ranch at 9 a.m. the next morning for breakfast and orientation. Driving away from the Tachi Palace, homes are single level and on large lots, so you can see long distances in every direction over low, flat farmlands. That is, until you come to one very long property that is enclosed by a 10-foot fence and tall trees lining the property. It's discreet, but it's noticeably different. There's a beautiful young lady at the front gate with an iPad. I give her my name. She pushes a button, and the gate swings open to reveal the 600-yard-long pool that we've all been dreaming of for the last two years. The entire grounds are beautifully yet tastefully appointed. Low, open, ranch-style buildings open onto spacious decks, everything spilling towards the main attraction. Cozy furniture and a fire pit, a jacuzzi, plenty of seating everywhere. They have a kitchen on site, and they prepared a fantastic and healthy breakfast for us. The locker room was stocked with amenities, leashes, sunscreen, wax, fins, loner boards. We each had our own locker with our name on it, right alongside Kelly's locker with all of his personal effects awaiting his next visit. Our group of 15 was split into three groups of five. Each group was given two one-hour sessions in the wave pool, and each surfer was given two priority waves in each session one right and one left. If you were to fall on your wave, too bad. However, if another surfer fell in front of you, you are more than welcome to catch that now empty wave. With five surfers in the pool, we'd line up along the length of the fence every 60 yards or so, and then just work a simple rotation. There was no advantage to being second in line or fourth in line because you didn't know if the surfer with priority would fall immediately or fall midway through their ride. You just hoped, if they did fall, that they'd fall in front of you with enough distance for you to spin around and go. The plow that generates the water drags underwater, and so you could imagine if you extended your arm three inches underwater in a pool and then just swung it around, it would generate a wave on the water surface. 
That's essentially what's happening here in this wave pool. The plow is attached to a train that drags the plow the length of the pool. And then there's a fence protecting the pool's occupants from the train and the plow. The wave it creates breaks about 10 yards from the fence and then just runs the length of the pool, always about the same distance from the fence. The train runs north and creates the right. They let the water settle. Then the train runs south and creates the left. You're surfing along the same exact fence the entire time. There's a lifeguard in a tower at the side of the pool. There's a lifeguard on a jet ski following each wave about 10 yards behind the surfer. They are both part of the water safety team on the WSL's Big Wave Tour. One wave is produced every five minutes. This is mainly due to simply letting the water completely settle. All of the pressure that I talked about feeling prior to my arrival was only validated by being there. When you're first in line, sitting next to that fence, in a concrete pool, lined with spectators, and then in front of four other surfers all hoping that you fall, it does not feel like your normal surf experience. The tower lifeguard counts five, four, three, two, one, and you hear the first mechanical chug of the train. The wave starts to form a little white water. It morphs larger, starts to take shape. The ski driver starts humming along the white water towards you. Then he starts gunning it. The train gets louder and louder, and then the ski driver starts shouting, Go! 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 I'll just start off by asking Jamie. We This was our first experience at the surf ranch. You actually had been there once prior to us, hadn't you? Well, I was there for the, the kind of uh, ribbon-cutting day, and... and um and I don't think Kelly had seen, you know, what it was, what it was going to become. Um, I think he'd seen sort of it as a work in progress and then stepped away for a while and, you know, gauging by his reaction, he was so thrilled when the first wave came through and broke the way it did. And it was just, it was mind boggling. And, you know, it was a little bit of a photo moment. I mean, he was, he was sort of out there sitting on the edge of it, watching it and everyone was back behind him, um, we all signed, you know, we signed NDAs. It was it was very much like a a secret mission, um, but it was really really exciting to see that first wave come through, and then to see him ride it. And was the wave different when um, when for Kelly as opposed to what it had been, you know, eighteen months ago when we saw that first clip? I mean, why was he so surprised at how it looked? Well, because this was the first one, so this was about two years ago. Um, Oh, you mean the, you mean that, that, that the very first video clip that we ever saw that one? Yes, yes, well, yes, exactly. And the, and the first thing that happened was he sat on the edge of the pool and they just went, you know, they basically said, "Here, have a look at this." And they threw through this wave that no one rode, which was fantastic. And it was right. really early in the morning. You know, I mean, it was a kind of a fun thing. I got a phone call at like eleven o'clock at night from John Moore, who works with Kelly on a bunch of projects, and he said, "Hey." you know, we're going to go up and check this thing out tomorrow. Can you come up? And I dropped everything and left at like three in the morning and drove up to Lemoore, which was just so bizarre and met everyone at a hotel. It wasn't the one that we were all at. It was like a holiday Inn, I believe at about six 30 in the morning, we're there drinking coffee going, okay, we were all like caravanning over to this place. And, uh, there's this big, you know, glassy lake thing and the foil and, 
suddenly it was like you know we were, we were just waiting for the moment and and then sure enough we like heard the first sound of the thing and then it started to move and then the thing kicked up and just delivered this perfect wave to answer your question it wasn't much different the only thing about the time that I was there is it it was only a right it didn't come back the other way I think that was like something that developed later but that moment when Kelly sees that first wave that, that that's that's the um, that's the genesis moment in my head for I mean, there had been artificial waves before, wave pools, but, you know, we, even Wave Garden, you were kind of able to dismiss it because it was so small, but, but that clip, you know, launched a million <laughs> crises and fantasies at the same time, I feel like. That was the one that shook me, that shook me like nothing I've ever seen media-wise in surf, that, that one clip. I, I didn't know you were there for that, Jamie. That's, that's amazing. Did you get a chance to surf it, Jamie? Well, you know, I really blew it because... So the first wave came through unridden just to watch. And then Kelly put on his wetsuit, jumped straight in. It was wintertime, so it was cold. And his first wave, I mean, he got this ridiculously long tube. And, and then his next wave, he did it again and again. And so it was, it was delivering beyond. Um, and I had, I was in the middle of editing a documentary that I've been working on for quite some time. And I had to be back in Santa Monica by like two in the afternoon. And we were in a crunch to get stuff done. So I had to leave at a certain time, and I got in my car, and then about an hour into my drive back to Los Angeles, I got a text from Kelly saying, hey, where are you, dude? I've got a wetsuit and a board for you. <laughs> oh, man. That was tricky. Yeah, so I, you know, I could have ridden it that day. Um, and I think the only other people who, you know, he was very generous. He, he, let, he let some of the people who were involved in the, um, in the technology, you know, some of the engineers and some of the people who were just, who'd been along for the, for the development of it, um, they all had a wave. So it wasn't necessarily the best surfers in the world, but, you know, he shared it with the grassroots, which I thought was cool. Only took two years to get an invite back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, but how, many people, how many people apart from um, Kelly's closest friends have had a second invite? I mean, Jamie, you might be the only... You might, I don't think very many people have had two invites. Yeah, no, I felt I was, I was flattered. And it, but you know, so strange, yeah. so strange driving to Lemoore with a board in, in your car and a, and a wetsuit. You know, that was a really big part of it for me too. It's just a bizarre experience. Not to mention the sound of the train and the jet ski right behind you and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so we have a lot of that to get into. But I want to get straight to the most important point, which is. Did you guys enjoy the experience? Yes or no? And Matt, you can go first. Well, yes. The the short answer is yes, with many exclamation points after it. Um, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't. That doesn't mean that uh, I I don't think about this under with you know sort of with dark clouds circling all of my thoughts about what what's happened here and what's going on and what this means for surfing because. Um, it's a gigantic disturbance in the in the whole thing, to to put it mildly. In in my in my way of thinking, at least, it's, it's not that I know the genie never goes back in the bottle, and this is it forever. And I'm still really kind of trying to figure out how I can have such divided feelings on it. But David, yeah, you know, I I rode, I got six waves that day, and my overriding impression afterwards was pure, you know, just surf, um, desire. I wanted to ride 
I wanted to just, I wanted to give somebody every credit card I had. I wanted to sign over whatever papers, you know, to whatever possessions I have. I just wanted to ride a hundred more waves. You know, I just wanted to um, figure, I really wanted to figure it out. That's, I, I've come to think at this point in my sort of surf life that, you know, the whole thing about surfing that's so attractive is that it's sort of a puzzle that you can never completely figure out. You know, all we're doing is trying to sort of, um, do this thing better and more efficiently and, and figure out the boards, figure out the waves, figure out who you are within the surf world. And, and this particular wave was something so new to me on top of something that I'm so, I've been doing for so long and I've been so jaded at, and it was so new and so different that it kind of, in a, in a weird way, um, you know, made me feel like a kid again. Like I, you know, like, like, like I, all I wanted to do was just ride as many more as they would, as they would give me. So yes. And, and then, you know, and the, and the other thing on top of that is of course, you know, at, at my age and in, in, in where I live and what I, what my whole surf life is all about. And I don't have, I don't have perfect waves in my future the way I used to, you know, I, I don't, I haven't gone on a surf trip in a couple of years. And even when I do, it's usually to a place where I can, where I can not battle a crowd, which means I'm going to sort of the B, the B breaks and to, you know, to know that I was going to be allowed to ride a, what is it? 40, you know, a 40 second perfect wave was, was really something. And, and, and I had Mark Price saying to me when I was kind of naysaying the whole thing that when you're riding the wave, you're not aware that it's mechanical. And I would, quibble with that a little bit, but he's right in that you're going really fast and it's a, it, you're just, your, your body feels like, wow, I'm riding a really hollow, fast, good wave. And I haven't felt that for a long time. So yes, you know, at, at, at the most visceral level, I thought it was amazing. I had a similar experience to what you what you just said, Matt. I mean, it, it sort of like tapped my inner junkie. It was like the addictive side of me was out so strong. I was ready to pull out a checkbook, and if if it was like here a hundred bucks per wave from here on out, I would have gone bankrupt. You know, surfing the the next day or two. Um, so I enjoyed it tremendously, but I did felt I feel you know I felt a little bit of a tease. I mean, I got. I think I got about six waves all up. I, you know, we were all designated the four waves, and then it was kind of pick up the scraps on the edge. And um, I caught rails on a couple of them and fell, which was so incredibly frustrating and ego bruising. Um, but the one wave that I did connect, it was really nice. And uh, but you know, as I said to, I think both of you, I, I felt like I've been invited to an exquisite meal by one of the best chefs in the world and traveled a long way to get there. And then I got like the cheese and crackers. And then it was, thanks so much for coming. Have a wonderful evening. I just felt like incredibly unfulfilled. And I just, my appetite was just like tickled in a way that it it was, I drove home just going, Oh my God. And, And you know, every little, every little wave sort of replayed in my head, the ones I rode and the ones I watched you guys ride. And, uh, it was like, I could just spend, you know, the next, five years like playing on the playing in this in these waters here and and it's it it was like yeah it it made me realize there's there's a real surf dog inside of me but it's just not accessed or tapped as much as uh as much as i i I allow it to be i completely agree with both you guys i 1000 percent emphatically loved every minute of it and um and it also altered my state in a way that hadn't been altered since I was a kid. Like you guys are talking about just a giddiness that I had, that I had an experience since I was a kid. 
And my dad called me when I was driving south the next day because he was going to ask me about it. And I almost didn't want to take the phone call because I wasn't done just processing the experience myself. I wasn't ready to kind of openly talk about it because once you talk about it, then it kind of becomes a different version. It's not the first generation. It's now a reflection on that first generation. Um, But one thing that I think I expressed to one of you guys when we were there was I went from feeling unbelievably grateful the night before for even being in the position and having the opportunity. And I felt with complete sincerity that if I could just see the pool, I don't even have to surf a wave. If I could just see the pool, that would make the trip worthwhile. And then a mere 24 hours later, I had zero gratitude and almost 100% greed of just wanting more of this thing. So it kind of brought out the best in me and the worst in me simultaneously. I think there's a lot of ramifications apart just from the, you know, wanting to satisfy the surf lust. God, there's so much more to break down about it. And and that, that the endorsement that I just give it, gave it is, is, Everything, almost everything else I have to say about the pool is puts me in a much more ambivalent or, or much darker place. And, and again, it's like I don't, I'm not angry that it's here or I'm not, I don't resent that it's here. Something like that was never not going to drop into surfing. I, you know, there were always, somebody was going to figure this right. thing out. So good for Kelly for doing it. Um, Let me ask you this before we dive too deep into kind of how it'll alter the surf world at large. I want to know about, we, we need to kind of break down for listeners, the experience of riding the wave itself. How similar or dissimilar was it to an ocean wave for you guys? Well, the, that's funny that you say that because the, when, when, you know, when the, when the invitation came, um, I'm out of shape and I, and I, I, I haven't, I don't surf much. I surf a couple times a year and, um, I was thrilled. I got a call from, or an email from Dave Proden inviting me, and I, I jumped all over, and I said yes. And my immediate call, and then the, my immediate feeling after was just uh, a, like a full body rush of, of anxiety and nerves. It's like, because I've already heard, you know, the horror stories of people who um, get to the pool and miss their, you know, miss the wave um, or dig a rail right off the bat. And I'm just going, God, what am, who, why do I even think I'm going to be able to, Totally. do this and I was so so I just immediately called up my GP up here and got a script for beta blockers and then my second call was to, to my friend Dan Dwayne I said Dan I've got I've got six weeks to get in shape for this can you help me he Dan sort of um, apart from a lot of other things that he's good at Dan Dwayne is sort of a, like almost like a part-time physical like a trainer you know so he got me on this program I lost five pounds I got a skateboard I started doing turns and Everything thinking, okay, I just want to not blow my takeoffs. And when we when we got there, you guys remember, like, you know, at one point they said, okay, you go to pole, what was it, 61 or something like that? You know, go out, pole 61, go 10 feet over, wait for the wave, don't paddle out to it. And once I saw yeah. that the takeoff was relatively easy, and once I knew that I could get to my feet, I, I figured I could, you know, I'm, I'm still, I've always been okay once I can get to my feet. And that's sort of what happened was once I got to my feet, and was able to get going. Um, it it didn't quite feel like an ocean wave, and that you're only getting ever 15 yards maybe of information to look at because the wave's being created as you ride. So that was that threw me a little bit. But you know, you're it felt 
it felt great to ride. It, it just right. felt, again, it, it felt great to ride, but like any other surf break, like, you know, the first time I surfed Malibu, the first time I surfed Punta Roca, the first time, how many waves do you need to ride a place to even begin to get it wired? And, you know, and, and, and like, like you guys are saying, four wasn't enough. So I'm sure that if I had gotten 10 waves, you know, by the end, it would have been even more pleasurable to ride. But I love the way it, I love the way it felt. The wave has no, um, it has zero, um, there's nothing crossing it up. It's like the best mentalized waves where you just feel like the wave has been filtered through so many, you know, it's been filtered and bent in so many ways that it's, it's coming at, there's, there's no, there's nothing crossing it. There's no secondary swell. There's no weird local winds doing anything to it. So it's really, in a sense, really easy to ride because it's so smooth. What about you, Jamie? What did you think? Was it, how similar or dissimilar was it to an ocean wave? I mean, you know, it's interesting, Matt, you um, spent years in the South Bay, and I think of a lot of the sandbars that happen in Man- in El Porto, Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, where, you know, yeah. they're so defined that they're almost wrapping backwards. Like, you take off on a right, and you end up as if you went left. And, and the, right, I right. think, like, given the length of these waves, both the right and the left, you should be going way, way down the beach, but in fact, you're kind of ending up where you where you started, which which is that strange kind of pulling back on itself. But I think, we, you know, I've surfed enough of those type of sandbars to know that kind of wave. So it's so, so it's it's a unique wave, and as you said, it's a re- really good what you said about, you know, you're getting only, what, 15 yards of information in front of you, um, which is different to riding, say, Rincon or, or something like that. Um, the biggest thing for me, I think, was just, in many ways, like, the machine perfection was such a strange kind of curveball that we're not used to. And what I felt most was just a kind of um, performance anxiety. Like, you know, the guys who are oh, man, yeah. se- the guys who are seasoned are going, here's where you take off. You take off, ten, as you said, 10 feet away from this pole. And you're sitting there, and you know the thing's going to give you the most gentle, perfect little takeoff there. And yet, because it's all being spoon-fed... It's like the most nerve-wracking thing. And that was where I kind of, I just, I wasn't used to it. And the other thing, you know, the way, so I don't mean to digress too far from what you're asking, David, but the other thing that I thought was interesting is it's sort of a mirror reflecting your, your surf habits. And I know my surf habits are, I jump in the water, I catch the first wave that comes to me, I warm myself up, and then I find my way to, to the better waves and start waiting and start getting in sync with the sets. To have, to like drive you know, four hours or whatever, stay in a hotel, wake up in the morning, show up at this place and have like, here's your wave and don't screw it up. That was like, that was just so out of what we're, you know, out of our familiar zone as surfers. It was so bizarre to do that. And that was almost like the wave itself. It's not terribly dissimilar to one of those sandbar type waves that pull back on themselves. But the, the way the rich. Yeah. But Jamie, that point, that's, that's where I started getting a little bit sort of, um, sour about it which, which is zero um freedom of sort of choice in it. And, and, and and jamie like you you know my my whole mo at, at any surf break even if there's like three guys out is i always grub on the inside i always stay inside of everybody and my whole thing has always been about uh quantity over quality I, i'd much rather have a dozen small quick r- rides than three or even, you know, or one good one. And and I've had friends, I have friends in San Francisco who I'm really close with who, when we're surfing the same area, I don't even see them because they'll sit outside and wait for good waves. And I, I will sit as far in as I can and risk getting caught inside because I just want to get all the waves that come inside of somebody. And that's, and also I'm always one to dog, I'm always zipping back and forth thinking that I'm on to something 
15 yards to the south or five yards to the north or, or you know, and I'm always moving around almost like just out of, um, um, I don't know if, you know, I just have to sort of keep moving. And, and I found it really disconcerting to have zero, zero options in the water that every, like you say, Jamie, you, you're, you're, you know exactly when your wave is coming. Um, and there's sort of nothing, there's nothing to do, but wait for that wave. Both of you guys highlighted something that I thought about a lot too. Um, and this is certainly veering into kind of the existential issues that come up with the wave pool itself, which is we've always thought as surfers that the wave is the ultimate thing that we're tracking. And I'm beginning to realize that maybe the physical act of riding the wave itself isn't nearly as transcendent as we all thought that it was. Like we're realizing that what we actually held dear all along was the ritual or maybe a confluence of the ritual plus a little bit of saltwater therapy had something to do with it, plus a little bit of the thrill of riding the wave. But it's the entire experience that is what we've all been chasing all along. And the physical act of riding the wave itself maybe isn't as important as we thought it was, you know? Yeah, you know, that's so interesting. And the one thing that I that I thought about a lot, and this, I don't know if you guys had this experience. I, uh, you know, Matt, you mentioned sort of psyching up for it. I had a similar thing. Um, unfortunately, I, I kind of left it to the last moment, but I just wanted to surf the day before to be, to be, there was a board I wanted to ride that I hadn't been riding because it's kind of unpreserving it. And, um, and I wanted to be warmed up. So the day before I left in the morning and I live in Malibu and I looked for a wave at Zuma and there was nothing there. It was dead flat. And I went north to County Line, dead flat, Santa Barbara, dead flat. I went all the way. I drove to Halama, dead flat. I eventually went just for like a splash at Pismo Pier before I headed inland to the to the wave pool, um, and you know it was it was knee high, probably even smaller. And um, but I thought it was really interesting to be going to hit the wave pool when the ocean was flat because had there been a pumping swell and had I passed good Rincon and knowing that that stuff you're talking about, day. David, with like, you know, the, the, um, I could have been driving up the coast with a friend and we could have been talking and drinking coffee and, and that whole experience, um, that wasn't available at the time that we got the pool experience, which I thought was sort of interesting. Like, this is the pool serving its purpose when the ocean doesn't deliver. Uh, no, I, I just, I suppose that I do, I do think that the wave, riding the wave was, was the transcendent part, but only if you've had to do all of the crazy stuff that we've done and make all the sacrifices and tell all the lies and blow off all the classes and give up so much of your life to put yourself in a place years or maybe decades after you start surfing to where you get to ride a 40 second perfect tube. And, and then it's, it's transcendent because that's, that, that's, that's what you've invested in into it, right? So getting now to the thing that I kind of I suppose resent the most about it is um, the, the experiences in, in surf that I hold the most dear. I had, I had three surf trips in a row um, in my mid and late forties that were the, the easily the best trips of, of my life. And I never had much luck on surf trips. I'd gone to Hawaii and not got much. I went to Australia didn't surf get much surf and three trips in a row. And I think 2000, 2003 and 2005, something like that. And it, it felt amazing in a way, 
and I, this is me kind of, I suppose, putting a, um, a story onto something that doesn't really actually have a story, but it's like, God, you know, it only took me 30-something years of surfing, but look, it paid off. I, I've got this most amazing day of surfing in Baja, and, and I had a mentalized trip, and I had an El Salvador trip that was just unbelievable. And and it felt like this sort of crowning, uh, not a gold watch exactly, I still had a few more years sort of to go, but it felt like something that I'd kind of earned. And, and the idea that there are people right now who, the sons and daughters, I suppose, of investors in that thing who are intermediate surfers or maybe even beginners who, who are just dialing up those waves because, um, who are dialing up better waves than I ever got. I mean, arguably, Kelly's wave is better than any wave I've ever surfed. I, I don't know if the wave I got in El Salvador was as good, you know, and I just, I just feel like it's something, it's just, there's something, uh, I don't know if it's wrong, it's just something so different, you know, and, and it, it, it somehow seems to kind of lessen um, uh, the story that I tell myself about my surfing life. Um, and I know that everyone's saying, I bring this up to everybody, you know, oh, well, you could still do all that. And of course I can. I can still get all those waves. And anybody, a, a person beginning to surf right now could still go out and do it the way I did it. The fact that there's an, or the, the idea that there's an option now that you don't, you used to have to do that to get the good wave. You had to be incredibly um, lucky or you had to be incredibly um, dedicated. And you don't have to be either of those things. You don't have to be either of those things now to get a wave equivalent to the best wave that I ever got. And I'm, I'm a little bitter about that. When you're hiring for a small business, you wanna find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally Free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I don't know. I think that there's it's nothing is um, good or bad, right or wrong. It's just there's different versions of everything. You know what I mean? And um, so I, I think in life with whatever it is, the more you work for something, the more you enjoy it. Even if you work really hard. Or, I mean, you might be camping and you worked really hard that day and you spent all day outdoors and you have a hot dog for dinner. It tastes amazing, you know? Uh, what about getting tubed itself? That is certainly something that is transcendent in the real world. Does that diminish at all in the wave pool environment? I missed the tube, except I pulled into one in, on my backhand at the end and then, I, and then it rifled along. It was kind of at the end where it was smaller. 
I got a great little vision. You know, to be truthful, my best tubes were body surfing. There's that little thing. There's that little oh, yeah. bit on the outside where you could where you could basically just drop in and, and and get a perfect tube, and then there was like a foam ball thing that came and crushed you, or it was kind of like the soft spot. Yeah. Um, it shut. It clamshelled, I guess. But um, yeah. But the way, I, I think I rode like three waves body surfing, and they came with such machine perfection. And the guy told me exactly, the, 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 the park pro told me exactly where to sit on them, uh, where, what uh, piling to line up on. And I, it came to me perfectly. And that was kind of great. But, no, I mean, it's interesting because tubes are so much more elusive in our normal surfing experience. And to have them available pretty much every wave is a, is a really strange phenomenon. I, I, I think both. I think David, you put your finger on the like the, the easiest way to to say about how different how, what this means to surf and how much it just changed things is I don't. I think a, a tube ride is now a, a throwaway. A tube ride, as you said before, it's like I guess it's a tube ride was a unicorn back. You know, like think about think about you know Jamie when you and I started. You know, a, a three second tube ride was still magazine worthy or, or contest winning worthy right and when they have that event when they have that event in uh whenever it is september or something um you know a 10 second tube ride is going to be a throwaway score or it you also have to wonder if maybe it becomes uh it really refines the judging so that it's more like swimming where the 10 second tube ride is impressive but it's not as impressive as a 10.1 second tube you know, like they might but, actually refine it that specifically. I, but even if they do, I feel even if they do, it's um, to provide that kind of access to something that was that you had to travel so far in your in your in your surf life. I mean, there are a lot of guys, a lot of surf heroes of mine, you know, um, especially from the 60s, I think, who I don't think they ever really got a, a they tube riding wasn't even a, really a thing until, gosh, you know, for most surfers anyway, till the early seventies and, 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 um, really brief little flashes of tube would, would stick with you forever. Like, you know, and, and mm-hmm. there's, uh, there's a, tr- just, I feel like there's just this amazing cheapening of what it means now to, to, to be in a tube. And, and it's, you know, again, you know, you might as well, it, what Kelly's done with that wave or with that wave is, you know, you might as well just go stand in a, in a flow rider for, for a half an hour. Right. I mean, it's not that far away from that. It's so, it's incredibly easy to get in the tube, Jamie. If you if you did get six more waves, you would be riding them in the tube from takeoff to the end. And how many minutes of tube ride time would it take until um, you had enough? I I never even pondered that question. Never it never seemed like something you'd ever be able to answer, right? I mean, no, I'm never going to get enough tube rides. How how could you even ask that question? And were you the one telling me, Matt, about uh, I think it might have been Evan Slater's trip to Cloud Nine? Oh, the, to 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 cloud nine where I, right. So he surfed, you know, one of the first documented trips to cloud nine. And it was, you know, Evan was such a good surfer still is, but you know, every wave was a, was a two, but head high, a little overhead. And I think it was, you know, two and a half days until he said he was ready to move on. That's crazy. No, David, you pose a really interesting question with that because I think the, the thing, the magic of the tube is, is a, how hard they are to come by and, and B like everyone is different. And the idea of, you know, if you hang out at the pool enough, and the and it's you're getting the the um, the foils delivering at the same power, I think you can you can like figure out exactly where you pull and where you where you exit, and then it it does it does lose a little bit of like 
if it is delivered by machine and it's going to be a carbon copy of the one before, then it doesn't, it really, like the magic of riding in a tube may always be great, although if you spend too much time in it, it might wear off and you might be yawning in the tube, but, but then the next thing is like, the mag- you know, watching the Pipe Masters every year and Backdoor, and often Kelly for many decades now, um, race the barrel and, you know, is that section, is he going to make it through that section? The whole, the whole sort of um, fact that every wave is different is, therein lies the magic, whereas every wave doing the exact same thing, it's, it's what, someone who stalls better or whatever, but it's not like there's right. this intuition, intuitive connection with the wave that is, you know, of a sixth <clears throat> sense that we see, and that's like often what makes for a great, the great tube riders. Well, it, it's what makes for great tube riders, and it's also what makes for interesting viewing. At, and so let's kind of transition into how it'll change competition. Um, I worry that it'll just become boring watching the event. So what was so exciting about watching the final exchange at the Pipe Masters this year was that final wave comes to Jeremy Flores. You don't know if that wave's even going to deliver the opportunity for him to get the score that he needs. Once you realize it does, and he surfs it, negotiates, navigates, surfs it to his ability, and gets the score, it make it's absolutely compelling, exciting viewing. So I'm wondering. Before we answer that, let me ask you. Let me ask you guys this: How, how many? How long until you guys felt bored by watching waves at the pool? Um, I did not get. I did not get. I did not get bored that day. I think it kept my attention the entire day. Oh, cause I, I was bored before lunch. I was bored. I was, I was not that interested in what I wanted to keep riding them, but I had no interest in watching others ride. And I, I didn't want to, I didn't, it, it became uh, numbing to me after watching a dozen waves or something, because as you say, you know, they were all the same. There was no, there was no, you know, I think what, what's, what, well, what captures, oh. what captures your eye if you're sitting on the beach, even if you don't know it, is that you're, is that the, uh, the whole thing is sort of going up and down. Um, the, the, you know, this wave's bending this way, and this wave's crumbling, and this wave's throwing. And and I I, I, I found myself, you know, before we were tucking into lunch, d- kind of done with just wanting to look at look at waves. I wanted to, you know, I, I was I was I was checking my uh, my emails and waiting for my turn. Well, along those lines, I I think I was engaged that day simply because I knew the day would come to an end. So I was trying to maximize my time there, right. but. Along those lines, when, I, when a clip shows up on Instagram from the wave pool, I don't watch it now. Almost no matter who it is, I scroll past it for that same reason. What about you, Jamie? Did you were you were you in were you sort of interested the whole time, or did you start to feel a little numb by it? Or I felt a little bit of both. You know, it's what what you said is interesting, Matt. I mean, I had yes, it's the each one's the same as the one before, but but as you said, David, it, it's like. We're only going to, you know, we know by five o'clock today, we're all going to be heading home. And that was our magical day. So, and I also knew that, you know, I, I was going to get another crack at it after lunch. And therefore I was trying to learn it based on what everyone else was doing and what, what right. the wave was doing. So right. I was, right. I was kind of studying it the way you would before, if you were in a competition, like watching it before he, but it's true, you right. know, the, to have the wave come every five minutes and be the exactly same as the one before is so different to being at the beach, as we all so well know, and you're and you and suddenly a set comes and you look out and you're you're just kind of you know it's there the the ocean is pulsing in a different way and you're dealing with this live organism versus a machine and and I think like the live organism is so much more fascinating 
to, it compels us in a way and it draws our attention and it's flat for a while and then suddenly there's a set and who's going to get that set and what have you is very different to on command five minutes, the sound of the foil, that train, train track sound. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to be critical of any of it because it's all so new and I'm still processing it. I mean, I'm still trying to make sense of what it really means. It's, it, I don't think we can really tell. I think it's going to take 20 years to, for us to look at what it does to surfers. And, and as you said, Matt, you know, the kids, the children of the, of the folks who are involved who are going to maybe have that be their, their singular surfing experience, what will they be like? They won't have gone to Mexico. They, they won't have the cultural things, that, all those things that make for, you know, the surfers we've admired through our lives that, that are part of the, the search for the wave or the travel. It won't be the same if you're if you're getting that country club experience. You know, you're not thrown. You're not going to have to. You know, you're not going to have to wor- surf Oxnard and worry about someone having broken your window when you got out. Or you won't have the etiquette of like being kind to the locals or, or, the, or the whole hierarchy in a lineup. It's a different. It's such a different game. And, and that's see that, that when you call it when you call it a game, Jamie. And that's what I'm, that's sort of what I was saying earlier. I, I loved. I loved. Um, it, it absolutely captured, held my attention for, forefront of my brain for um, nearly 40 years, was trying to figure out all of those aspects you were just talking about, you know, and, and so David, sort of what you were saying, you're right, in a sense, it wasn't about, well, riding waves was the end point, that was what you were trying to do, but it was always working toward that, working toward how do I do this better, but contained within that, like, God, you know, what kind of weird things that I do sort of socially? What, what, like, I was never a hardcore local and I never, you know, but I was always aware of what, what, wherever I was surfing, Ocean Beach or, or Venice or whatever, I always cozied up to guys who would, um, look after me or, or make, you know, how, any way I could bump my weight count up. And even if it's, you know, I'm going to be nice to, to the, to the heavies, I'm going to be nice to the enforcers, I'm going to, you know, all the kind of amateur meteorology I did and, and, and all of the hours spent uh, putting my hands on the rails of, of surfboards and, and just endless, endless amount of stuff trying to figure out how to do this better and, and to do it more often. And, and I don't, you know, I don't know. In the, in, in the end, it's worthless. What's the point of all that? Right. Except it just, it felt like it was fascinating. It was just, it was yeah. a fascinating thing to do. Right up until my son was born, and I thought it's time to move on. I can't, you know, I can't keep doing it at that level that I wanted to do it at. But I love being. I, I never. I don't have any regret about being that complete obsessive about it. Um, for all the frustration and all the heartbreak and all that, and I and, well, and I feel I, and I do just feel like that the wave pool wipes out ninety something percent of that, and and I and I, I I mourn that. I mourn that loss. We've identified some ways that the wave pool is inferior to the ocean uh, in regard to competition. Jamie, you're a former world tour competitor. What do you think the benefits are to it? Um, What do you think it'll add to competition this year? It'll turn it more into gymnastics or figure skating. I mean, in many ways, it's almost as if like the thing that the, the thing that's so interesting is about surfing is that it's a liquid playing field and it's, this is almost making a concrete playing field, you know. Um, the fact that every wave, the, w- the wave will come in at exactly the same time and be exactly as the same one before, it it will, um, it will. I think performance levels will definitely go up. I mean, I think the idea of being able to go to the ranch and 
and really familiarize yourself with that wave and know that at you know it, when you're aligned with piling number 27 you do the air reverse when you're aligned with piling 34 you do this it'll become much more of a, almost a routine um i think a lot of the improvisational parts of surfing that are, that are really exciting will no longer be there both in the sense of which waves you pick and what you do on those waves it'll be like it'll be like a skateboarder taking a run and on a static playing field but in fact it is liquid but but it's it's as if it were static um so I think it will up the performance level. It'll for spectators. It might be way more interesting if if the goal is to sort of convert the uh, the the uninitiated and to bring it to you know in people landlocked people. It's it's a great great step forward. I think. Um, you know the flip side is you don't you. I, I wonder what it's the, the the thing that I've loved most about surfing and I think about this in in you know in relation to say baseball basketball football like thinking about having been a pro part of that odyssey was to go around the world built in built into surfing was this idea of traveling to foreign lands and then you know you do that for a long time and you you grow as a person the idea that there's a pool that holds all that stuff will we no longer need to travel will it turn into like a you know where whatever country is wealthiest and has the most money will they just will there just be a circuit there um yeah it might like homogenize you know surfing i feel already is really homogenized but it might homogenize the experience much much more uh matt there's we've seen a number of wave pools come and go um more importantly they've gone you know they do come and everybody's excited but ultimately all of them have gone away do you have any insights on the viability of the business model? No, none, none on the business model. No, but I feel like that the, the, the reason the other ones went away was, was, um, and by the way, one didn't go away. I don't know if you count it, but you know, the flow rider thing has been, is a huge success. I, I suppose we'll count that as something different. Right. But that, you know, the, the, the moment that Jamie was talking about when that first wave came through and they filmed it and put that posted that on YouTube a couple of days later, um, I suppose that in addition to everything else I was feeling, and this may have been at a level, you know, a level below conscious thought, but it, that that was it. It, it. That's not that's not going to go away. This is not going to go away. And it, it may be that the that the company that owns Kelly's Pool won't be the ones to commercialize it, but somebody will take something similar to that. And no, it's not going to go away because we all want it too much. Even even the even the uh, Wave Garden thing, I think, didn't quite. Um, didn't quite get us there. It got it. It felt close, um, but there was just a, it, it, you know they, they talk about the tipping point. And this this really feels like a tipping point to me. Um, it's and here we didn't do a you didn't do a, a show or a, I'm not sure a podcast existed. I guess they did when you know when Wave Garden first came up. But you know you just didn't have people paying as much attention to that as, as we do to this. And I don't I don't I think that they could turn Kelly's. They could turn that one thing into a huge money maker th- this weekend if they wanted to. I mean, you know. I mean, I, I guess you're right. We do all want this too much, but we don't know what the economics are of it. Like, how much does it cost to run? And then how much does is each wave worth? And are those things equitable? Um, I remember when we were there, I think Dave Prodan was mentioning to us that these um, two lakes, the one that the pool's built in and the one right next door to it were water ski lakes. And he just kind of referenced like, oh yeah, back in the 90s, there were a bunch of people building water ski lakes all across the US. It's funny, they all thought that it would be the next big trend, but it never really took off. So there's these empty lakes throughout the US. And he said it in passing and I kind of looked at it like, well, (laughs) 
a ton of people thought that would be the next big thing. Just like right now, a ton of people think this is going to be the next big thing. And uh, I would hate to see that 20 years on, we're all reflecting at the time that we thought wave pools was going to be the next big thing, you know? Would you hate to see that? Or would you be overjoyed to find out that they all went went away? I'd hate to see it because honestly, I loved writing it, you know? I want to write it for the next 20 years. Yeah, I think in many ways, if if one of the, if one of the challenges, and I say this as a sort of older curmudgeonly surfer, but if you've been surfing for, you know, three decades or more, I think whatever period in history, it's almost inevitable that you're, it's hard not to be kind of grumbling about the crowds. Um, the idea yeah. of this other option is a great one. And, and, and I think if it were, if it were a complement to the normal surfing experience and not taking it over, I think it's nothing but a good thing. Cause the idea of, I mean, I can think about like, oh, I've got, you know, two weeks free in March to go on a surf trip. And I could go, I could go wherever. I could go to Mexico. I could go to Australia. I could get the experience of sort of chasing waves and the road trip or whatever. Or it could be like, hey, I just want to like, just, just be, just have like the porn experience of tons and tons of waves. And I've got enough money and I can go like with two of my buddies and go stay, have the wave pool during that time. To have that as an option, I don't think is a bad thing at all. I agree. It doesn't really jeopardize my experience with the ocean at all. You're right. It's a complimentary experience. It, to me, it's, it's more psychological almost. It doesn't jeopardize mine either, what, you know, or what's left of it. But it, it just, it, it really disturbs me to know that, again, that it's, it's, that it's even there. There was something, there was a commonality to all of our experiences. Every, any surfer, any time from, from us going back to, the, you know, the, the Kahanamoko brothers, you could sit around and talk about, uh, all the failed trips you went on or, or, or how you were two hours late for the best day of the year. And everybody had, and I hate to keep coming back to like the, the, the suffering of it, but I, I kind of do think that in a way, you know, that was what united us as surfers. That was what made it, made us interesting as surfers was the obsession with, um, getting toward getting, putting yourself in a place to be able to get a wave like that. And, and, the, the, the idea that there's an option now that you don't have to do all that stuff if you don't want to, or the idea I should say that there's an option that you can now get a perfect wave. You, you don't have to be that person anymore. And, and um, I, I think that, I think that the only thing that was defining, the only thing that really ever mattered that ever made surfing or surfers interesting or unique was the, 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 the enormity and the uh, unreadability and the, difficulty and the beauty of oceans and granted it's still there but i liked it so much better when that was the that that was um a a given that that was that was a you you, there was no workaround for it um so you know that's that's i don't know if you want to call that pessimistic again to me it doesn't feel i'm not resentful they've done this it's more just again like i'm just kind of in in mourning because i do think that there's a, a, a a period of surf that is now in, you know, receding into the past. Um, there, you, you, on the surfing timeline, you'll take a marker and put it right there at 2016 and say there was before the, before that pool and after the pool. Well, I think somebody pointed out to me recently the similarities uh, with what happened with motocross and motorcycle riding, where on any given Sunday it was everybody in the desert or in the woods, they were certainly outdoors riding motorcycles and you had to actually work for it. And if you wanted to learn how to jump, you either built a jump or found a natural jump and maybe you had to camp out over the weekend. 
And then Supercross came along and Stadium Motocross and people didn't have to work for it. And it was all indoors or at least partially indoors. And the purists were very, very anti. For a short period in time, there was a bunch of purists who were very anti Supercross or at the time it was just motor indoor motocross. And um, but what ultimately has ended up happening is it the Supercross experience didn't challenge the outdoor experience. And what it did at the same time was expedite um, technology for the bikes themselves or in regard to safety. Helmets got a lot better. A lot more money came into the sport that supported the sport that then benefited the people who are riding motorcycles outdoor as well. You know? Well, that'll happen. I, you know, if, if nothing else, gosh, you've got a much better um, place to test you got a you got a wind tunnel you, where you can really test forwards better. No, I know it's interesting. You know, Matt, while you were talking, I was thinking it's almost when the leash was introduced that idea of right. You know, it's just making like making the whole experience so much easier, and you used to work much harder. And uh, and I know you know looking at say old old pictures, surfers from the pre leash days, say in the Surfers Journal, they all look more cut. You know, they look more fit because they had to swim for their boards. <sighs> And and then they and then they they rode the waves with with more at stake and so they were more responsible in what they did. Um, but it's almost a, you know I mean that's this is a much probably a much greater leap than that. But it's it or it's a much more dramatic one because it's taking it out of the ocean. But it, but there's a parallel there. It's it, it's yeah I, I'm so I'm so curious to kind of see what it's going to be. But I really do think it's going to take a while before we can actually see what it does. Well, let's peer into the future. Let's imagine it's. 2028 there's 20 wave pools scattered around the globe how will it affect your personal surf experience or how will your personal surf experience be different because of that (laughs) i just i'm just loving the idea that in 20 years i'll still um be able to uh to stand up on a board so um let's give it 10 years then (laughs) um i don't know I'm, i'm i'm uh i guess let me ask you let me ask it this way we we explained that the riding the wave itself is a definite yes, and we approve of that. But all these other things that come with it, we're questioning. So in 10 years, is it a net gain or a net loss, do you think? I'll, I'll, let me just take it back to the personal level. Cause I, I actually feel uh, I had this discussion with Todd Perdonovich, who rode a couple of weeks before the three of us did. Um, and he his experience was very similar to ours, but he came to a realization within a few days afterwards where he also would have, you know, given the pink slip to his car to, for another few hours in the pool. And he said, after a few days, um, that all went away. And he said, I'm really grateful. I went, it's a box I've ticked. I don't want to do it again. I don't need to do it again. And I think that I probably feel the same way. I think that I wouldn't really, I, I don't think I, I don't think I'd go back. And again, it's, it's an easy, it's an easy one for me to say, cause I don't expect to get a return invite, but I, I, I really think I'd rather go surf. Um, even, you know, even if I, the only other surf experience I had last year, I went to a resort with my wife and kid down in, um, down at, uh, Punta, where Punta de Mita in Mexico. And we, we just stayed in a resort. We stayed in a kid friendly resort and there was a funky sort of right left peak reef out front and i rented a i rented a board and just went out and surfed there and it was warm and and i i I actually think i would just as soon go down there and surf for a couple of days and ride some uh some c c plus 
warm water waves, then to go back and ride another dozen waves at, at, at Kelly's Pool, despite what I've just said about how much I wanted to, I would have given anything to do that. I, I, I think I'll just keep, I think I'll just play my hand out in the ocean. But again, that's, that's a particular thing to me at my age and where I'm at and, and you know, what I, what I sort of grew up with. But that's, that's where I'm at. I, I, I'll probably stick to the ocean. What about you, Jamie? Net gain or net loss? Well, I feel, you know, in my, on, my personal, on my personal trip, I relate so much to what you just said, Matt. For, you know, for me, it's like when I get on a perfect wave, it sometimes mirrors back to me my, the, <laughs> the fact that I maybe surfed better 10 years ago. And, 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 and I don't like that. I'm always trying to pull the ego out of my surfing. And so when it becomes all about the wave... It's almost like exposing me in ways I'd rather just delude myself otherwise. And so I like yeah, my, my yeah, surf experience yeah. at 51 years old. I go to really low key spots. I get away from the crowd. I go out to clear my head. I like the seagulls flying overhead. I like the kelp washing up on the beach. I like the rocks. I like the it's the natural experience is what it's 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 a whole experiential thing. And the waves I get, you know, and and there are moments when I feel like I can surf well and and a, and a kind of like performative athletic part of me comes out a part of me where the heart's racing and, and the adrenaline's pumping but for the most part right. it's that whole experience and the idea of it's almost like you know to, the idea of going on a surf trip specifically about like getting these how 50 waves over the course of three days and do, what i'm going to do on them i don't even want to think about that i, I want to go with like friends mm-hmm. i enjoy and and part of it is the meals I mean, I don't mean to over-romanticize, but it is like the whole, the the journey part, you know, it, 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 the as opposed to the destination. It's like the whole experience, and and to sing, to sort of zoom right in on it being the wave, the money shot, so to speak. I, I, it's not about that for me at all anymore. However, if I were like 18 years old and a senior in high school with NSSA champion title, you know, titles under my belt, I might look at real, and, and it's all about that. And I was once more that way, so I can, so I don't, I don't want to like dismiss it. My, what I told you is very much my, my own bent. But what, you know, both of you guys, what, but what does that mean? Like, I, I keep wondering, so what is the surfing experience if you're 18 and, and as hungry as you were, Jamie, and as I used to be, you know, what is surfing now to that, to that kid in, in terms of, how is he going to divide up his surf time? Um, let's just say that you can buy a season pass for a reasonable price. I suppose um, there's every version. I think there's both things and there's guys in the middle because if you look at skating, there's guys who just have the season pass and they go into the skate park and that's all they skate. And there's guys out on the street just skating the elements. So I think if you live near the beach and you have that wonderful opportunity to surf in the ocean, that's what you do. But there's a ton of guys who don't. And even if you live at the beach and there's a wave pool nearby, maybe you can't afford the season pass into the wave pool. So I think that there will be versions of everything. And again, I'm not sure that we can even say one thing is better or worse. I think just to recap some of what you guys have said, the person who actually travels and goes out in the ocean might be a more cultured individual because they've gone to different lands and eaten a bunch of different food and all that sort of thing. But again, not better or worse, just different, you know? I do think it's worse, David. I think it's worse because this, the sport isn't as unique as it was. And I think that that uniqueness was something that all of us, we don't even know it. Maybe we don't even know it yet, but you don't realize how near and dear that is that we were all these, this weird group of surfers. And, And as much as we all mostly hate each other and fight each other and, make fun of each other um 
there was all, you all everyone had sort of a screw loose to do it and now you don't you know you don't have to be because of this so I, I I think it's worse because we've taken away the 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 most unique part of surf has um, not been taken away but is now there's now an alternative you don't have to be a unique person doing a unique thing anymore it is that you know it's 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 really going to become something much more like half pipe um, half right. pipe and, and I love half pipe you know I, I don't do half pipe I love all I love all those sports but the reason I didn't do any of those sports and the reason I surfed, even if I couldn't articulate this a long time ago, was because surfing was sort of for freaks. And I, I, I loved that part of it. I loved it. And it's gone. Or it's, gonna, or it's on its way out. I hear you and I relate to that very, very much. And I, but, the, you know, the other side, I just had this thought, is the, uh, the possibility of having lights and being able to ride it at night is appealing. And then I think about skateboarders, and I've always liked skateboarding, but, you know, if you had you know in your neighborhood this like you found these stairs with this these nine stairs and you and you desperately wanted to kickflip those nine stairs and the and the and the kind of repetition of like i'm going to go and try this and try this and try this and i'm going to go there with my buddies at night and we're going to bring a six pack of beer and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it the idea that the 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 wave ranch could offer that that i don't think that's a bad thing i mean and again, for me, it's not about performance. In fact, the more I look at performance, the more humbled I am with my with regards to myself. But if I were that younger kid who who had who was more interested in the sort of performance side of surfing, there was, it was a more of an athletic thing. Um, that side of it would be there would probably be moments that are very sort of poetic that we are not that is hard to see because it's all so new. But once the once it yeah. becomes less of a novel and less of a controversy, um, and it's just there, and there's this thing that you know, if you've got the money, or if they make it you know cost effective in such a way that you could go for like a skate park. I mean, I skated a lot when I was young, and I love skate parks. And it wasn't as it wasn't. I wasn't looking at going, God damn you people! Like you, you made this concrete place for us. How dare you get in the middle of my experience of going and finding empty pools? It was more like, how cool is this? So it it may it may smooth itself into that. I don't know. Well, I have a final question uh, for each of you, but before I do, did you have any closing thoughts or follow up thoughts on that, Matt? Um. No, I, I, I guess I've said it. I, I don't mean to sound, I know I sound like the, sort of the negative one of, of the three of us, and maybe it's because I'm the oldest of the, of the three of us. Um, no, it, it, you know, an era, an era is sort of, an era is sort of coming to an end, and, and a new one's opening, and, and again, I, I was thrilled, I was thrilled to write it, and I'm sort of chilled that it's going to do what it's, what it's going to, going to do, and, and, and before we sort of leave completely I, I do think um just as a as a as a competitive thing that, that I, I don't think it's going to work as a um as a competitive venue um for so many reasons things that we didn't even really get into why not oh because just like you said you know when all that again and, and again sort of the uniqueness of, of of the playing field which is um the the, the buzzer beater you you know that that's you know, I want to see. I want to see the buzzer beater. I want to see the paddle battles. I want to see um, unexpected. I want unexpected things to happen. I want to see people get caught inside. All of that weird stuff and um, seeing. It, it, you know, it, it's going to become a thing where it's like a like a gym, a, a routine, a, a 
three-minute floor exercise in the Olympics and absolutely come to appreciate what somebody can do when they've done the same thing 5,000 times to get it perfect. But the surfers that I always loved the most were the ones who whose brains seemed to think and spin at a, at a rate beyond anything I could imagine. So they were responding and reacting to things as they came up. So I always did appreciate Damian Hardman for being so polished, but I, you know, I, I kind of went, I was awestruck at Mark Acalupo because he could, he, you know, it was almost like the thing, like the wave was moving in slow motion for him. So, so he could, he could figure things out so fast and do things that no one else was seeing. Um, that's what really, that, that's what sort of got me off. And that's not going to be, that, that's not going to be the, um, creativity is not going to be the, the hallmark of the, of whoever wins those contests. It's going to be the guy who's spent the most time practicing the moves. I guess what I hope for though, is that through the pool, they will refine let's like the judging criteria. For example, I think judging has always been super subjective and there's been a lot of problems with it through moving it into the pool, they might be able to make it a little bit more objective and better define the criteria. And then that will translate into the ocean. What they do well there and improve there, they can then take that back out to pipeline. You know, you know what they should do at the wave pool, at the, at the, at the wave pool is they, it ought to not be object, uh, subjective. It ought to actually, actually, actually should have a, a series of moves that go from uh, easy to difficult, and you just start eliminating people who can't do it. You say, okay, go out and do a, you know, do a fin reverse, and everyone does that, and then you keep making the moves more difficult and you just eliminate people who can't do it. I mean, that, there probably needs to be a new judging system. It's not going to, I don't, I don't know how they're going to do that thing subjectively, but I, I'd love to see them come up with an entirely new system to, to go with this new venue. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, I agree. So my final question is in an effort to uh, provide some, I don't know, market research for Kelly Slater himself. Just what is your payment threshold? What would you actually pay for a wave at the Wave Ranch to surf it? Um, let's, so let me take myself back to how I was feeling in the days right after when I was, you know. Or maybe, yeah, maybe give me two answers then. Give me the, the price that you would have paid that day and the price that you would pay now. Um, I would pay uh, 50 bucks a wave. Even today? And I don't. I, 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 I'll, I'll I'll just leave it there. Yeah. I, yeah. I can't. I can't. I don't want to try to bring. I'm not sure. What, you know. My that that was. I would have paid more than that probably in the days right after. Um, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at fifty bucks. Two hundred bucks would buy me four waves. Um, I think I'd be too nervous. I, I'd be I'd be too nervous if I paid more than that because. God, you know how many waves would you have to blow before you started getting it wired? You know, if I say a hundred bucks, I think I would just be broke too fast. I know that's a thing. So it's like 50 bucks sounds reasonable, except when you realize you could fall, you could fall instantly and it's 50 bucks down the drain. So then it becomes a bit more risky. Jamie, what's your number? Well, I had a number in my head and because and, it was the totally irrational one, as you mentioned, Matt, which is just, you give it all up, you know, but and when I sort of driving home and I went up by myself and down by myself, so I had a lot of time in the car, I thought a hundred bucks a wave. I thought if I would have written a check for 10, a thousand bucks for 10 waves in a second. Um, 
And you know the one, the, the one last. You're right. And, yeah. I, and I don't mean to digress, but the, but this is related. But the one last little thought, the one thing that I'm always surprised at, and I'm actually grateful for. It's a dis- and, and David, you mentioned this, the best and worst of your, ourselves. When that when that thing looms, when the when the uh, when the foil starts to move and that swell starts to peek up at you, that feeling. I'm happy that I still get it, and it's like the most proprietary feeling of just "fuck you, clear out, this is mine," and and right. and I got that so strongly there, um, and I get that when I go surfing still, which is like this looming piece of swell coming at me. There's nothing in the world I want more than this, and uh, it's. Uh, right. I, I'm always surprised. I, I that, I'm always surprised that's in me. It's so strong, and and it and and I can be like a nice guy, and then I can instantly. Whether whether I keep it internalized or whether I share it, but it's like this is there's a, there's a greed and a selfishness that comes out that it, it's like it's a very human quality that that I got so strongly there. So anyway, a hundred bucks a wave I would go for. Let me ask let me ask both both of you guys really quickly. Did you and I'll just admit this and I think I think it was the same for everybody. But when it wasn't my turn, um, you know. I was doing everything this side of telekinesis to make people fall. Like, you know, if you were, if, if I was Dave Gilovich takes off and I was just staring daggers at him, like, please fall. He told me his knee, he'd hurt his knee playing basketball. And I was just thinking, you know, I was just like, you know, I just wanted his knee to give out. Like, you know, I felt like such a prick. And then, you know, he, there's a certain point where I realize he's going to make the wave and I'm not going to get to grub it. You know, I'm not going to get to glom onto it and, it was complete schadenfreude. Like I've never actually felt that much desire to see you guys do poorly or anybody else do poorly as I did that day, for sure. And the, and the two waves that I did grub, like the two waves that I got, would, would, like the, the, the rush that I felt when this one guy went up to do it, a guy I didn't know from, uh, from Stab Magazine, went up to do it off the top and fell. And I go, unreal. And I just, you know, I... I just darted in and, and I and I picked it up and it was it was Christmas time you know and, and that also you know, like taking my joy in his misfortune and he fell off really early I was just thinking you know I wasn't giving a thought that this poor guy just blew one quarter of his whole allotted thing you know I, I was just like right. more for me thank you you know no and and just for the the listeners who just to clarify so there were like two heats of six roughly and then so each person had prior pole position but then everyone was allowed to sit in the lineup to to get whatever if someone were to fall but no it was true i mean again it sort of brought out the worst in all of us because i had that experience too all i wanted was was to see the guy fall so i could get the wave um right yeah Yeah. it it was rigged to like to to bring out that that greediness in us all for sure well, you guys, just for the record, uh, fared better than I did. I only got four waves the whole day, my two priority waves in each session. And it, and it through no fault of my own. And, I, and again, there's no benefit to sitting second in line versus fifth in line because you don't know if the person in front of you is going to fall immediately or fall late in the game. So you're just kind of at the mercy of them. But you guys got, you know... I guess a third more waves than I did, or fifty percent more waves than I did each. Well, I fe- I got on my two rights, which all I cared about was going right. I I I fell on both really early, and then on the lefts that I got, and I can't tube ride backside. I kind of just went way out in front of the wave and did some sort of slow weaves because that's sort of all I can do. Which is the same thing I did at G Land, same thing I did at Bali. I'd never learned how to grab a rail and pull in right, so. That was kind of wasted on me, and I ended up getting four lefts, which, so what? you know? And then the rights, which I really wanted to surf well, um, um, 
I over frothed, you know, and didn't do it. So, all right. Well, in post production, I will give you guys a full um, direct everybody to your respective websites and all that information. But is there anything else that you guys want to say in closing? You know, the fun thing that I, I, it would be, I, I'm going to, I'm going to backtrack on two things. Jamie, you're right. I would, I would pay a hundred bucks a wave. I, I think your, your, your number is better. A thousand bucks for 10 waves. That sounds just about right. And the other thing is where this thing would be really, really fun and where I would love to do it again is if it were six friends and you just had the, you had the pool to yourselves for six hours. I think that would be hugely fun, you know, where it was just, and, and it was, you know, there was no real wave count where you just say, okay, we're going to, we're going to pop out a wave every four minutes. You guys get in there among yourselves, figure out the rotation. I can see that being um, as much fun as, you know, as, as six friends could have. No, it'd be like the best, the best bachelor party trip you could ever do. See, I mean, right there. I mean, how much money could they make just by offering, you know, bachelor parties to rich surfers? That would be, you know, you'd, they'd be minting money. <laughs> and David, anything you want to say? Well, I want to ask you questions. Yeah, by all means, ask away. I mean, what was your what were, what was your overall takeaway? And I know we've gone through so many specifics, but I'm just I'm curious because I know we had good talks poolside. Um, what would you pay per wave? Um, I was going to split the difference between you guys and say seventy five bucks, but you're right, a hundred bucks sounds right. And the scenario that Matt's talking about is certainly the best way to do it. The scenario that we were in, I thought there was probably too many people there that day for us to really, um, I don't know, it really, it just wet my appetite, you know, it was like, I got a feel for what it would be, but I certainly didn't get to express or even explore the possibilities of the wave. And furthermore, I just left with a tremendous amount of latent energy stored in my body of like... I only got four waves. I need to rip. I need to get out there and just do a real big turn. And now I'm stuck spending the night at the Indian casino and then driving home tomorrow. So I actually stopped in Santa Barbara and surfed that afternoon to just to expel some of that from my body. Um, But I, I I'm super grateful for the experience. I think the WSL did a phenomenal job with, in terms of hospitality, like they took really good care of us and um so i was i was thrilled with the entire thing it's definitely not going to replace or really even affect my personal relationship with surfing and going to the beach but if there was a wave pool in my local community if it was let's say a hundred bucks a wave that we're agreeing to would be a good price i figure once a year i could come up with yeah maybe that thousand bucks in a group of friends and we buy out the place for the period of half a day or whatever and just have that bachelor party experience i'd be willing to do that once a year hey before we go i can't let this i can't let this end without mentioning do you know how close we were david to having um ashton and chaz in the pool at the same time oh my gosh <laughs> do you realize that i mean it was really there been it a, could have happened there would have been a drowning it could have happened <laughs> yeah well, and i'm glad me, it didn't no, and, and I and I do want to say um, Ashton was on our trip, and he he uh, he surfed it. He surfed the wave really well, and um, um, I wanted to say uh, tip tip my hat. Ashton's a great surfer. All those guys, all those guys from Stab were killing it. I mean, Sam obviously, Mikey, Sia Morella, yeah, and then yeah, Ashton's was, ripping. So 
That's right. You know, I, I, one thing I should say is that uh, for all that worry that I had about um, blowing takeoffs and all the horror stories, you know, I heard, I don't know, you know, Lane Beachley missed four waves in a row and, and Rabbit missed waves and all these, you know, I was just gathering all this information before we went, just overdoing it completely, you know, overthinking it. But um, of those, you know, whatever it was, 15 of us all just mostly pencil, you know, pencil neck journalist guys, you know, but, but nobody missed a wave. Everybody nailed their takeoffs. And um, I do think, you know, I don't think anybody walked away from that day that we had any more frustrated than we were. They all, everybody got a good dig at it. And uh, it was fun looking at all the different um, people who we you know, know from bylines or, or, or to, you know, get out there and have it and have a go. That was, that was really fun. The end of the day when we all gathered and had chips and guacamole and beers, that was really, and, it, and the sun was low and it was just, it, I mean, that was, it was interesting for me because that feeling was as if we just had a surf in the ocean and we were all hanging out. It was great. Well, that, the part of that had to do with the novelty. I mean, God, it was, we, we were all, we were all, it was, a, it was all for our first time. So I think that there was a, God, it was definitely a, a, a first day at Disneyland kind of thing. It felt like to me. And we have a photo to commemorate it uh, on the tractor. So I'll post that on uh, the website and on Instagram for everybody to check out, too. I'd love to see it. Yeah. So, Hey, David, thanks for having me on this. I appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you guys. All right. Take care. Thank you very much, guys. Bye-bye, guys. Bye, Jamie. Bye, David. All right. See ya. The trap you'd and the use you before you even know. For love is blind and you're far too kind. Don't ever let it show. I have all the photos and video from the spectacular day that was on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And then, of course, if you want to learn more about the wave pool, kswaveco.com is the website. I have a link to that on surfsplendorpodcast.com as well. And then before I wrap the show, please be sure to support the show by visiting healthiq.com surfsplendor. You'll also save money on life insurance because you live a healthy lifestyle. Health IQ has changed the model for life insurance, but I like them because they're really just influencing individuals to live longer by living a healthy lifestyle. I mentioned it last episode, but they're just doing real simple stuff like not having sugar in their office. They offer midday yoga classes. The company's founder had a health scare at the age of 37, and it caused him to radically change his life. And through the process of losing 40 pounds over the course of two years, he became a marathon runner, and he realized that being health conscious was actually really hard work, but it also paid dividends to all aspects of life, and then it fundamentally serves society better as a whole. So he founded Health IQ with the goal of improving world health by financially celebrating the health conscious instead of harassing those who are not. If you need life insurance, or if you already have life insurance, but you want a better rate based on your healthy lifestyle, you can support Health IQ, you can support this podcast, and you can save yourself money. HealthIQ.com slash SurfSplendor. I also have a link to it on SurfSplendorPodcast.com. Of course, 
leave a comment in the comments section. I'll ensure that Jamie Brissick and Matt Warshaw get to see whatever notes you leave for them. And then if you liked this episode, please just share it with friends. That is the way this show grows. I do not market this show at all. I simply produce the content. I rely on my listeners to do all the marketing for me. So if you wouldn't mind, play your part, help the snowball gain momentum, and it'll ensure that uh, I get cool little perks like getting invites to the Surf Ranch. So thank you for that. The fact that I was even included in surf media made me feel humbled and honored so thank you for that dave prodan thank you to the wsl for such a spectacular day and unbelievable hospitality unbelievable experience i'm sure you'll hear plenty more of it in the coming years and hopefully you'll get a chance to surf the pool as well or a pool in the near future all right final two notes just uh follow on follow us on social media at surf splendor and then rate and review the show in itunes or whatever podcast app you listen in Thanks again for the opportunity to do this. And until next week, this is, of course, David Scales for Wax On and the Surf Splendor Network saying, get back in the ocean, get a couple of waves, and shred on. Surf Splendor.